Hello, and welcome to The Real Folk Reviews. I'm Samuel, and I've been watching Cowboy Bebop for about 15 years. And I'm Georgie, and I've been watching Cowboy Bebop since about half an hour ago. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. So before we get into the episode uh, proper, Georgie, I understand you had some ideas about what this show might be uh, before we started. Yeah, so just for a little bit of context for people, uh, Sam suggested to me um, not that long ago, well, I I say suggested, the first thing he said was, Georgie, have you ever seen Cowboy Bebop? And the answer was no, not a clue what that is. Um, And at that time, that was absolutely true. What's happened actually in the weeks since then is I've had a little bit of osmosis information from things um, but previously I, I have known absolutely nothing and what I knew before watching the episode earlier today was still very little um, but based on the title alone Cowboy Bebop I assumed it was for children I assumed it might be something to do with a 90s DJ called Ga- Cowboy Bebop well you've got the 90s bit right <laughs> That's, uh... yeah but I don't know now I have watched the first episode I don't think he'll be running like children's dj you know parties (laughs) um but then yeah so other than just the from the title my housemates had actually started watching the first episode as it turns out um which i now know uh, not that long ago so i saw a tiny bit of it whilst they were watching on the television but i really didn't pay attention but what i gleaned from that was that no no we have to abandon the whole podcast oh you can't okay that ruins the the purity of the whole premise i'm sorry if it helps i had no idea that that's that what they were watching was the thing you'd even suggested i completely forgotten what it was called already. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll, we'll let it slide then. Thank just this you. once. That's very kind of you. Um, but what I gleaned from that little bit of, of um, sideways watching was that it was an anime, that it sort of had a level of violence to it, um, that it was quite surreal and had some dark comedy. But that that's about it. That's all I sort of picked up from it. Um, and the only other thing that I've seen is the tiny trailer snippet that Netflix gives you if you briefly stay on, you know, the same panel um, on Netflix, then it'll tell you (laughs) the beginning of, you know, like a little snippet of what's in the show. And what I got from that was a woman dancing the tango with a dog. Right. To be honest, I can't remember a scene where that happens. So (laughs) uh, you have had absolutely nothing spoiled for you as far as I can tell. Good. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that... uh, (laughs) What I what I knew about this has still remained an absolute mystery to me uh, and to you, it seems. So, yeah, based on what little I had seen, um, I was expecting it to be weird. Wasn't sure I was going to understand it. Wasn't sure I was going to get it. Um, wasn't even sure if I was going to like it, to be honest. We're, like, we're really going in cold here with very little expectation of how this is going to play out for me as a viewer. So this could be a really interesting podcast if I absolutely despise it. Um, yeah, we won't be friends by the end of the podcast <laughs> if uh, if that's... No, actually, I mean... That's a big part of the reason I I brought you in was because I'm aware that I'm going to fanboy over everything. So I need somebody to like ground me in reality and say, this is a problem that you're just overlooking because you love it too much. But anyway, so you went in very, very cold. Mm, Yeah. And what I tried to do was glean as much as I could from the blurb that Netflix gives and the picture that it had in sort of the header area before you hit play, just to try and like really demonstrate how little I know here and also for people who haven't seen it before what you what you might try and figure out if you would want to watch this based on what you're given in that blurb Um, so this is the blurb itself from Netflix scouring space for bounties Um, so my first thoughts are no idea it was in space second thought is I'm hoping it's about chocolate bars rather than uh, rather than bounty hunting that that was my first thought well I guess they are at least in the first episode perpetually searching for food so there is there is that but i think after 26 episodes you might kind of be like okay we get it this is a very long advert for bounties um yeah and i think if we try and continue that joke from now until the end of the podcast then we might get very boring yes yeah let's let's put a moratorium on it or we'll have merch that has specifically that on it bounty sponsor us yeah there you go please please i bloody love bounties they are yeah. my favourite chocolate bar as well, not joking. I 
am always happy when somebody's passing around the celebrations and it's just bounties at the end. Yeah, and I people like, always yeah, leave the bounties. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like not the favoured ones of a box of celebrations, but they are my favourite. Uh, yeah, so scouring space for bounties, a ragtag crew, excellent cliche, a former hitman, an ex-cop, a con artist, a hacker kid, and a data dog live paycheck to paycheck. And my first thought there is, which one is the token woman? Well... <laughs> That's definitely not something I can comment on at the moment. No, but then if you look at the picture that goes alongside it, you've got what I assume to be exactly that lineup from left to right as it's written. So the picture that you get, at least at the moment, I know they rotate the images around when you look on on, uh, the platform, but you've got uh, five characters stood in front of a lineup and that you would get a police lineup. So you've got those sort of lines with the measurements for height on the back. Uh, And you've got from left to right, you've got a burly looking muscular wolverine type um with what what might possibly be a a mechanical arm possibly which i'm just now going from they've used the word space and now i'm looking for space cliches so cyborg arm maybe and then next to him a slim sort of i guess the sexy looking young man with a cigarette in his mouth who i'm assuming what do you mean you guess the sexy looking young man But I, I, as in, people are supposed to find him to be the slim, sexy man. You know, he's he's that stereotype that we're fulfilling here. Um, and then third along in the row, we've got our token woman, and it is the con artist. I can only assume um, who's wearing a bikini type outfit with giant breasts. And then, yeah, moving on from her, you've got a quirky looking teenager with an orange beret or something like that, who I'm assuming is the hacker. No, that, that's her hair. Oh, that's the hair? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it's hard to tell the picture. Um. Uh, and, then, and then a dog. So I'm assuming that is the data dog that is referenced in the blurb. Yeah, that is as much as I had to go on before going into this show. Okay, so you, you mentioned that you thought it was surreal, which is a good intro into that very first scene before the opening credits mm. where you've got this well I'll what did you think was happening in that scene oh good question um my first thoughts were is batman's parents getting killed again <laughs> okay because you have like this red rose land in a puddle and then there's some people getting killed and then there's someone who's really enjoying the killing and but it was playing back like it was an old oh, movie. Okay. That's... Yeah, I really, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so it looks kind of like an old movie, but instead of being black and white, it's blue and black. Yeah, well, and they did also have, they were clearly messing around with the colour because um, then you have the, the the red of the rose and, and there's some blood dripping that gets brighter through the scene as well. Yeah. Yeah, so it was very film noir, um, you know, reminded me like sort of Sin City where they have everything's black and white except for a couple of very, very vibrant colours. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can, yeah, I can see that. But yes, so you see certainly someone, someone going into a fight and smiling. I'm not sure. Yeah, I can see why you read that as enjoying the killing. And that's not necessarily... Uh, uh, to be honest, actually, I think I should just shut up about that opening <laughs> section because we will get more We will get more info on that and we can probably come back to discussing that in later episodes. Yeah, all I can say right now is that it gave me zero expectation for what came later in the episode whatsoever. It wasn't really much of an introduction to yeah the story that you're presented in that episode. Did you pick up that that's Spike, though, the guy in the opening? Or are you just holding, or am I revealing that to you now? (laughs) Probably revealing that to me now. So we jump from this scene that's playing out completely silently other than the music. Yeah. This haunting music box tune um, in the the blue monochrome. And the, the final thing we see is the red of the rose, you know, gradually growing redder. Yep. Batman's Um, parents are now dead. Batman's parents are now, yep, very dead. Yep. There's lots of copyright we're going, we're infringing already here. Uh, mis- miscellaneous flighted mammal man's parents <laughs> have um, have met their untimely demise. I was wrong. That's going to be on the t-shirts. Yep. Wow, we're already designing our t-shirts. I'm thinking big. I'm thinking big. Okay. So yeah, we've got this quiet scene apart from the music box, and then suddenly, 
jumps in. Oh, anyone who's got their headphones in right now is going to suffer for that bit. Yeah, I was, I was trying to listen quietly and not bother somebody sitting with them. But to be fair, that's what happens if you're watching the episode and you adjust the volume to that first section. And then, <laughs> then you get the, uh, the opening theme. What were your thoughts on the opening music? I really liked it, but it 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 really I felt like I was being thrown. I mean, yeah, and and this will become apparent as we continue. But that each section felt like you were being thrown into a new genre. And, okay. And so with that opening, the music to it was sort of like an old school heist movie. Yeah. No, um, it definitely it definitely has yeah, that vibe. Which I guess works with what I knew that I was about to be seeing bounty hunters and people running around, but. Yeah, it was already so different to the energy of the opening scene and it felt much more playful and much more sort of you can expect hijinks yeah. rather than rather than death and destruction. Yeah, no, definitely. Def- although you do have those shots of guns being fired at you. So that, that probably indicates it's not going to be a peaceful show. It's it's not a peaceful thing. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't say it was peaceful, but it also didn't make me feel tense it it was like oh this is fun yeah i think that may be why it's put in straight after the cold open to be like okay we've we've got this cool moody scene that you're showing you you know in this very deliberately arty style (laughs) and then it's like don't worry this is going to be fun (laughs) yes and, and i guess that that is what i got from it yeah so we get to the end of the theme tune and like you say there is another big mood shift here mm-hmm. where you have quite a, a dividing line of you know a scene that could plausibly take place in any city in the first in the opening you know with these old-fashioned buildings mm-hmm. old-fashioned music old-fashioned church to you're in space there is far too much space tech in front of you there was a lot of space stuff all of a sudden yes yeah yeah um yeah and you've got the music again is sort of acting in contrast to what you're seeing because you've got this very yeah this western um music that's lots of heavy harmonica that sounds really sort of melancholy but um very soulful as well and then you've got yeah all these spaceships flying around but they all look quite shabby yeah yeah that's that's yeah definitely something that i mean like i think the harmonica adds to that too as well because it's like it's a very cheap instrument you know it's it's something that um you could definitely picture so this music and other music in the episode you can definitely picture just somebody busking on a street corner with mm-hmm. this music i mean you you know you'd pass that person and think they're very talented but, <laughs> but yes yeah i see what you mean it, it's oddly sparse even yeah so it's not like lots of orchestral you know it's not supported by lots of other sounds it is almost entirely like a pure harmonica sound yeah and also, like, there's there's near silences in that song as well. Like, when the harmonica stops playing, it'll pause for a few seconds and, mm-hmm. and start playing as well, which I think kind of adds to the air of poverty that you're you're kind of getting. Or maybe poverty is not the right word because these people do own spaceships, but, um, but marginal it, living, definitely. Yeah. But then it did, I mean, uh, whilst it might not be poverty, the other thing that that stuff reminded me of was Red Dwarf. Oh yeah, okay, I see yeah, what you mean. So yeah, um it had for any people who might not be familiar with Red Dwarf, it is it's a space comedy show, um, but they are living on a ship that's falling to pieces really, um, and they mostly travel about in a smaller ship that fits inside the big ship that's basically a garbage collector and the people who still live on the ship, their job was to look after the garbage so it had that energy of it even though yeah they, they have these spaceships I, it, it wasn't an air of luxury or um you know high tech this is what we could find making it work as we go along sort of energy yeah so there's there's a lot in this episode of long languid establishing shots which mm-hmm. don't really move the story forward but are much more about trying to um immerse you into the universe there's there's that one of the gate initially and you know just people transacting through it there's a fair few when we're when we're on Tijuana which is an interesting way to go when you've only got 
you know 20 minutes yeah 20 minutes of an episode to introduce four new characters um yeah and it's also it's quite in contrast to the other anime i'm familiar with which isn't a lot to be fair but yeah anime tends to be quite rapid in the way it shows you things from my own experience of it anyway um whereas this felt like it was trying to create a different genre than the one it was yeah utilizing does that make sense no what do you mean by that (laughs) um so so it is an anime show Mm. but they're obviously trying to create a western feel and I think in a Western, you would have a lot more of those slow establishing shots oh, of people yeah, sat I, around I in the mean. dust, you know, just like boiling hot, having a whiskey, um, waiting for the day to end. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's yeah, that that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I, I do. Yeah, I see what you mean there. Um, it's, I mean, there are there are other anime Western series as well. Um, like there's one that came out the same, I think the same year as Cowboy Bebop called Trigun, which is very famous, which is just a, more of a straight Western, um, you know, set in deserts and all that sort of thing. Whereas this... Is in space. Yes, it's in space. <laughs> and it's, um, this isn't really a, a spoiler to say, it changes, it changes genre episode to episode, I would say. Oh. Um, so not not like not in a hard way where it's like this is the film noir episode and this is the western musical. episode yeah the musical episode i want or, a yeah. musical episode sam now you, you've given me that these expectations i want a musical episode yeah i'll take the music is so good you won't feel the need for a musical episode which is good because you're not getting one oh. uh, <laughs> sorry uh there's a point in there okay so let's get on to the bebop with uh yeah. Spike and Jet. So we see Spike in blue light. In a state of undress. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. So when, when you said he's ostensibly the, the hot person. Oh, yes. You're, you're presented with abs very early on. Yeah. Yeah. And, but but and, they look more like, like he might be starving and the abs have appeared rather than, <laughs> than they've taken work, which I'm sure it might be a combination of the two in the show, to be fair. Yeah. I think it's partly just a, a fashion a fashion of what was considered attractive in the 90s versus now because now you see leading men in shows tend to be i guess built more like jet than they are like spike (laughs) i I I wondered if it was more a a cultural thing and a genre thing as well because he's a martial arts expert Mm. uh, that they tend to be more sinewy than they are bulky Yes, I guess that's that's definitely true. Spike's fighting style is very heavily modelled after Bruce Lee. Mm. So it would make sense that his body's drawn. Yeah, he's in, got a Bruce Lee bod. Yeah. So something that struck me this time that hadn't struck me on really any of my previous watches is you get a very marked colour contrast as well in that opening shot. First, you see Jet frying his vegetables in his wok. Um and there's the colour of his outfit, there's the colour of the flames, there's the colour of the vegetables. Spike, on the other hand, is apparently standing with the lights off being moody. Because um, all you can really see is this blue light in which he's bathed as he does his exercises. Yeah. Until Jet flicks on the light switch. Mm. And now that I've mentioned that that is him in the opening as well, <laughs> um, I that kind of struck me as maybe being possibly a symbol that he's in some sense between these two worlds this world with jet that jet pulls him into when he switches the light off and this older and this other kind of mood or memory or future or whatever it is Mm. that he might be stuck in so yeah so this is of course where we hear the first dialogue in the show what were your first impressions of these two people from hearing them talk uh that Jet is clearly the dad of this D&D party. <laughs> yep. And that Spike is moody. <laughs> he is a teenager. Uh, and he <laughs> and yeah, the only way to get him to do things was to bribe him with food. Yep. He yes. <laughs> One of the few things I have planned long term for this is that each week we'll have a category called Jet Black Space Dad. <laughs> where we just just pick up on the uh, the most daddish thing that he does in the episode, right? Yeah, and Spike really does not acquit himself well. No. I think it's it's fair to say. Yeah, and we also get a bit of backstory on him with um with Jet explaining why we have no money since the last job because you screwed it up by smashing things and hurting people. So all of our money that we should have gotten from the bounty went to that to fixing all the things you broke. 
So we have two other characters who are main characters in this episode, at least, mm. and indeed at most, as becomes pretty yes. clear by the end of the episode. Yes, Katarina and Asimov, and yeah, we we first see them as well walking into this bar. With the bloke sitting around talking about digging. Oh. No idea what the hell they've been digging. Uh, Did I just miss that in the subtitles? <laughs> no, yeah, I, well, they say they've been digging gates, but that's not something... Right, yeah, it doesn't really give me any more. Now, I feel like the entire point of their characters was just to have the cliche of grumpy men sat in a Western um, saloon, just, yeah, complaining and gambling, and that was their entire purpose. That was what I assumed. Yeah, and then, yeah, so you have these kind of incidental characters off to the side, just basically being set dressing. Yep, and And then we have the characters that actually matter coming in because they have a lingering shot on the imaginary cartoon camera. Yes, yeah, that's that's definitely true, yeah. It's like, okay, you need to remember who these people are. Yeah. What What were your first impressions of them? Why does she have so much cleavage? It is so unnecessary. Yeah, it is. That was that was my main thought. Like, literally, as she arrived in the scene, and then it got worse later. Like literally, just a shot of her boobs on the on the bar. Um, yeah. Because she can't take a sip from the <laughs> mug without yeah. just leaning onto it and sort of slurping off the top, which means her heavy breasts land on the countertop. And just like, what? And Why? the three three old men drool in the background. Yeah. Which- yeah. Is, and yeah. she's and she's also pregnant, so you're just you know we're hitting all of those necessary things to identify woman character. She carries baby. She has boobs. There we go. Uh yeah. I'm not going to try and contradict any of that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So those were uh, you know I know I was supposed to be focusing on the actual plot points, but really all I was looking at was the gratuitous sexism of her character. Um, but then meanwhile we've got Asimov. Um, yeah, selling some black market goods. Can I can I just come back for a second too? I I think watching this, I was actually much more impressed with her as a character than I have been on previous watches. Right. Because I'd basically thought of her as hanging off Asimov's arm for the entire episode until she finally takes some action at the end. Right. And that's really not the case at all. Um, so she's the one who orders the Bloody Mary when they get to the bar. It's not him. So she's clearly you know, as involved in this as he is. She's taking an active part in things. A couple of minutes later, when we get to the bar fight, she actually shoots a guy and kills him, which Asimov is killing so many people, I kind of, I don't think I'd ever really noticed that before, but she doesn't, she's not just like, you know, you've seen The Princess Bride, right? I have, I love The Princess Bride. Yeah, The Princess Bride is wonderful, but she's not doing the thing that Buttercup does when the rodent of unusual size is attacking Wesley and kind of standing off to the side going, oh no! Yes. What's going to happen? Yes, she was uh, being a Roger Moore Bond girl. I okay, yeah, I I I take I I take your point there. Um, <laughs> but as the episode goes on, like when when Asimov comes up and chokes Spike from behind, she gives him a little signal with her eyes to go for him. She doesn't. She's not just like waiting there to be rescued. She's oh okay. I think I missed that. Yeah, no. So she's not. Yeah, it's, she does have some agency as a character. I will, I will say that. Yeah, but I, I do think you're absolutely right. Like the, I think probably the reason why I'd not really given her that credit before in previous watches is because the opening is so like these are the boobs for this episode. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. I have a question for you, Sam, which might be hard for you to answer considering you've seen it multiple times. But if you can answer it. When you first watched this episode, did you suspect she might not be pregnant way before you see the evidence? We are going back like a long time here. I appreciate it's a hard question. Um, I, th- I think I remember being surprised. Okay. What, what about you? I repeatedly throughout was flip-flopping between is she pregnant or is she not? Yeah. From the very beginning, I was I wasn't sure. No, I, I guess the, probably the first clue, which I maybe just didn't pick up on because I was too young, is that she's drinking. <laughs> um, well, actually, that that one just suggested not, that one didn't necessarily point me towards that. That one was just like, well, clearly she's she doesn't care too much about being pregnant. But yeah, I, it's a weird one actually because I found myself thinking about how 
in real life, I think that I will often be able to tell if someone is pregnant on like a TV show or something. Okay. And then when I question other friends, and particularly male friends, they have no idea. And obviously this is not a real human on a show that they're trying to like hide the pregnant belly. Um, but But it was interesting to me that I felt that it yeah like there were signals that suggested to me that it she couldn't be even though they were doing these lingering shots of her belly and stuff like that that clearly were trying to make us believe that there was a baby in there that she cared about yeah and she was yeah she was talking like she yeah she holds her belly when she talks about wanting mm. to go to mars which that's fairly fairly soon before it gets revealed actually but that yeah and that was one of the moments that made me think oh maybe she actually is but maybe it's actually a stealth clue because as we know from elton john mars ain't no kind of place to raise your kids <laughs> in fact it's cold as hell <laughs> uh. what a reference yeah uh, but yeah we've obviously also got the introduction of uh, the bad guy for this episode asimov who is the bounty that spike and jet are searching for yeah, and he... What do I learn about him from that opening sequence? I mean, he's he's quite... Yeah, I mean, as much as our female character is a bit of a stereotype entering the scene, so is he. He's just a big, lumbering bad guy with, you know, a lolloping haircut and a, an evil smile. Does he... Does he have an evil... Oh, I guess he does when he do, he takes the bloody eye, but he doesn't mm. smile at all before that, I don't think. No, no, but the, the the smile once he's... Yeah, the, the end of that scene um, when he... Yeah, so he takes the bloody eye and um, becomes the Red Hulk. But yeah, but so you said you said you view him as, you know, just a generic bad guy. Mm, pretty much. I, I agree he does some very bad things in this episode, but I... I question whether he's inherently bad or, I mean, he's probably not a great person because he works for a, a crime organisation that sells drugs and has stolen a bunch of those drugs, which, I mean, he seems to be trying to get out, though, so maybe he's he's aspiring to something better, but doing these... We don't really, he, we don't really get enough of his motivations internally. Mm. Well, because I suppose for the viewer watching it the first time as well, you've got him entering with his presumably pregnant partner. If you are watching it not knowing, then you might try to infer that he is a better person or, you know, that they at least have some sort of more substantial relationship between them, that, you know, that there is more expectation of trust, more future plan yeah as a pair because of that setup like you kind of you want there to be more to this and that's interesting as a viewer yeah i i definitely i definitely get that impression partly because of the way katarina is looking at him throughout the episode it's clear that the way he's behaving is shocking her and mm. given that they like obviously know each other well enough to have decided to run away together and to be a couple yeah that would seem to indicate to me that the way he's acting while he's on bloody eye and while he's you know backed into a corner is probably not the way he has acted up until this point in his life yeah uh, yeah that's interesting i hadn't really thought about that i guess watching it the first time all i'm seeing is stereotypical bad guy but then what we get is a nice big shootout with lots of spliced together shots of people being thrown around the room and yeah things falling and all that kind of stuff i think it does quite a good job of hitting all of the visuals without giving you any action whatsoever <laughs> okay I, I see yeah i see what you mean yeah because it's there's a lot of there's a lot of changes of point of view mm. yeah seeing through his eyes with, with the bloody eye as well yeah i'm not sure how well all of that has aged i think some of it looks a bit hokey now but one shot i do really like is at the very end of the fight you see his face grinning down onto this guy who's dying and it's going in and out of focus which yes. i think that's quite effective as establishing him as now something more than human. Yeah, and it is that smile that you, we see through the window that really stuck in my mind as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is... Wh whatever he might have been before, this is now a very bad guy. <laughs> yes. So the bar in this is modelled off a the bar in the film Desperado. And... Um, Katarina and Asimov, their character designs are based off Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek's characters uh, in that movie. 
okay. Yep, yep, um, yep. Although, obviously, Asimov is nothing like as attractive as Antonio Banderas. But then I guess Antonio Banderas doesn't spend that movie with drugs in his eyes. So no, yeah. Antonio it's maybe Banderas not fair. is ostensibly a good guy in a Desperado as much as he's a rough around the edges good guy. Whereas Asimov is yeah. definitely not a good guy in, in what we see. Had, have you seen Desperado? I have. Oh, okay. Yeah. But was I'm guessing it was a reasonable time ago because you... Yes. It, now you've said it, I definitely see some of the representations. Yeah. But but it, it wouldn't have occurred to me if you hadn't said it. Because, yeah, I, I like the way this show does references because... I'd heard somewhere that this episode was based off Desperado, and to check that, I watched Desperado before this, and it's definitely not. No. There is basically no correlation between the there story. There are no guitar machine gun cases, no. for one thing, and that is something I would really have remembered and referenced. And it's, like you said, Asimov and Katarina are, are completely different characters from those two characters in that movie, which I, was kind of a relief to me, because I was really worried that, like, is this thing I love just ripping off another movie? And <laughs> it's it's not it's just paying homage to it which i like because if you get that reference you kind of go oh cool but otherwise it's never distracting it's just there let's talk a little bit about the other characters what do you think spike's goal is in this episode oh interesting question well he clearly wants he wants a chase he doesn't want it to be easy okay why do you say that um, because of the way, well, it's it's a little bit confused knowing the cause and effect some, with some things through it. But the impression I got by the end was that he was doing a lot of calculated things early on and then later on revealing that he knew more than he was showing at the beginning such that the fight was more fun. Like he says, uh, there's a line he says... Um, which I'm gonna, which I'm gonna struggle to to remember to repeat back, but it's it's essentially saying like it's not worth the chase unless you're. A oh yeah, threat. I don't deal with weak and nobodies. That one. That's yeah, and then Asimov chokes him out from behind. So clearly he's not calculating that well. <laughs> but, that no, no, but that, but that he, I think he says that later on, as like well says something else to that effect. Later. Yeah, no, he in the the second time they meet as well. Yeah, yeah. he he puts him down. Yeah, and in that first moment where he does get choked by Asimov, he also picks his pocket. Oh, yes, yes, he does. So so there is still calculation happening. So, it, you know, how much of that was playing with the scenario he was presented with and, you know, just taking advantage of it or whether or not he actually, to some extent, orchestrated that so he could get close to him to pick his pocket? Who knows? If if so, that's that's an extremely reckless move. Well, like, yes, but we know he he's could, reckless. Yes, that's he is reckless. Yeah, that it's very on brand for him. But I, it had never occurred to me that he might have wanted Asimov to grab him so that he could pick his pocket. But you, you could be right. Mm, yeah, I think overall, in terms of the way the characters progressed through the episode, it it was sort of like um, Katarina and Spike were essentially essentially playing off each other. Yeah, throughout. So it would be quite difficult to pick out exactly who was winning at any one point. And, you know, if you were to look at their interactions, yeah, as, you know, who's winning the yeah. wars and the battles, who won each each interaction would be hard to say. That's definitely true. It, it's difficult to tell how much either of them knows about the other at any given point in the episode. But what I'm picking up from that is you still think what Spike is interested in is hunting them down. Yeah. And, yeah, and... <sighs> I was really thrown by the way he responded at the end. So you have a couple of tiny suggestions of them catching each other's eyes and they have that initial flirty moment when she drops her bag and he helps yeah. her pick up the things and who knows who made the other one trip up and who actually wanted to have that interaction to start off this whole uh, conflict. You know, that's yeah. the moment the conflict starts is when they meet in that moment. So there are tiny suggestions through the episode that they are flirting, to put it sort of yeah. in the most simple way. Yeah. But it's not... That's definitely what Asimov thinks. <laughs> yes. Asimov is being uh, classic uh, jealous boyfriend. Yeah. Um, which she deals with very well, actually, I think. Yeah. Um, she sort of is just like, I what, was waiting for him? you for ages. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I, I realised that wasn't what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, 
I think she shoots him for for different reasons, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But you have moments that suggest that there is some potential romance between Katarina and Spike. But it's not like there's been anything overt. And then at the end, when she dies, he's really, really cut up about it. He looks really sad. He does. He does look really sad. So that clearly came as a shock to you that he actually seemed to be invested in her fate. But I get vibes of that earlier on. Like when he's saying running away, like, you know, he's, he's got this jokey thing going on and then he says running away, but how far can you go? Mm-hmm. I wonder whether he's always trying to kind of persuade her, this, this is not going to end well for you. You need to take a different strategy here. Whether he's trying to save her. Because if all he was interested in is catching Asimov, he, he could just... He could have done that very easily. Yeah. And then when Asimov and Spike are having that fight in the open-air cafe, mm-hmm. Spike is, like, being very chill and toying with Asimov a bit. Yeah. But when the syndicate shows up and then Jet shows up to rescue him, he immediately becomes really angry. He's like, you're, you're late, Jet. You've ruined everything. Which would seem to suggest that there's... Catching Asimov is clearly not what he's invested in. But there seems to be something that he is invested in. Because, mm. like, he, he's, well, like, when he's chasing when he's chasing Katarina and Asimov, Asimov at the end, he blows up those two ships that are chasing them. Yes. Like, and yeah. I, I'm not sure who those ships belong to. My guess would be their syndicate, because they look quite different from the police ships, and they're, like, black unmarked ships. I guess I just, I read that part as, like, no, no, my bounty, piss off. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be, you know, it could, it could potentially just be that, but I think there's enough else in the episode that maybe would suggest that he's that he might be trying to affect some kind of rescue for Katerina and maybe even for Asimov. Mm. He's not just mocking him during the fight. He's giving him advice. I think he's trying to show him you're not as strong as you think you are. You do not have the skill to survive this. Mm, yeah, I think... Because when, when the conclusion was actually playing out when she shoots Asimov and then the ship itself gets destroyed, I wondered what on earth the point was of the whole, of the whole chase. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say anything about that other than... Every episode is pointless. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, isn't it all really when you get right? No. Um, <laughs> oh, let's not get existential not, yeah. yet. But this episode changes quite a lot once you've seen the whole series right i can't say anything more than that without spoiling stuff for you okay but i do think there's yes that it's pointless from the perspective of there's clearly no broader narrative that's being moved forward by the way this episode ends you know spike and jet end it with basically a a shot for shot repetition of what they were saying in the opening yes Um, it is quite quite cyclical but something that I think is kind of a theme of the episode in in general is little people living very marginal existences against the backdrop of much bigger powers and fa- and failure in general in the episode. Like nobody really achieves anything they want except the police and the syndicate. Mm. And you have people who are trying to, you know, um, Spike and Jet are trying to. I mean, Spike would talk about maybe he's not that interested in the bounty but he's clearly trying to get some sort of territory that belongs to the police in chasing these and and jet as well um and then katarina and asimov have taken something that belongs to the syndicate and are trying to get along and we talked about hunger a bit earlier and there's there's a big theme of people just reaching around for scraps in this episode like jet drinks that uh presidente the the tequila from the from the shot up bar, um, Katarina, when Asimov is gone, goes for, to get a sip of his beer. Just sort of know. slurps like a cat. Yeah, and there's a an actual cat lapping up water in the there ruins is. of the bar. Um, and of course, there's Spike nicking the sub. So I think it's maybe more about establishing this is the kind of universe in which we live. This is the kind of universe in which the little guy or the li- or person of any gender or cat <laughs> just has to subsist on what they can get yeah. Um, yeah i think um there is one bit that i wanted to bring up as well that we haven't mentioned yet um which is the shaman 
or shaman, however you want to say. Oh, yeah, um, laughing bull. Yeah, laughing bull. Right. Who? It really came out of nowhere, as far as I'm concerned. Watching it, they were a surprisingly effective prophet, though. Yes. For once. Well, wait, I mean, you don't really know his. Uh, yeah, he 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 gives Spike very specific information. Very specific. I'm, I'm, you know, when I say for once, I mean in the general trope of prophets in stories, they tend to be very obscure and have a two-sided meaning. But this was very clearly: you will meet them in the north of the town. A woman will try to trick you in some way. So I think what he says is: you will encounter a woman and death. And ah, yes, again. <laughs> yeah, but so. That that clearly is true of this episode, but there's a specificity to you will meet them in the north end of town that there isn't necessarily with the second thing that he says. Mm, so that's fair. It's it's fulfilled in that way, but there is another trope with prophets mm. that you think the prophecy has been fulfilled. Yes, and then it hasn't. Yeah, that scene in general, I really liked the way it was it was drawn. I thought it was very, um, yeah, it felt. Like it had much more element of fantasy, which appeals to me personally, mm. but um, also just the, yeah, it was more like it was still in darkness, but the colours were richer, and it was a very very brief scene. Mm. But I did really, I thought it was it was a lovely thing to look at, even if I didn't fully understand the necessity of the encounter. Something else. So there's stuff in this episode which smacks of early instalment. So. The animation on some of the characters, like the shot of the guy dying, um, the barman. Sorry, that's that's definitely not a specific enough descriptor for this episode. Um, <laughs> or any episode, I would imagine. Uh, you'd be surprised. Um, okay. But yeah, the, the shot of the barman being killed, his, his face goes very cartoonish after he's just been shot in the head. Um, and the other thing which strikes me as very different... Um, is so Tijuana is quite a weird setting in the show. You see lots of terraformed cities in the series, but this is the only one on an asteroid. And they usually, I won't say what it is yet, but they usually have a different method for um, separating the land from space. Right. Here it's in a giant dome. And I was kind of thinking, is this just because they haven't figured out the aesthetic or is there something deliberate about the design because tijuana is a real place uh in mexico yeah um on the border with america um and having a physical barrier like that which you don't usually see seems very reminiscent of you know the border walls that they put up in america to stop people getting in right yeah well it's, it's hard for me to comment on that without having yeah more of the context of what happens later i don't think it made any difference to me as a viewer well apart from the fact that the idea of mars felt very distant Mm. which is which it is supposed to for the characters but it felt like um yeah it, it felt like a an idea that didn't have any tethers to it at this point yeah, I guess you don't really know Mars yet. You see Mars in the shop with the gate. They're flying from Mars to Tijuana. Um, but you just see it from space. I don't think you see anything on the surface. So it's it's not that far. And actually, Tijuana is probably on the, the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. So mm-hmm. it's probably about the closest place to Mars in the solar system. Right. Yeah, you know, the closest place you could plausibly have anyone living. Um, I on mean, an asteroid. That's a, yeah. <laughs> As I say that, that's a stretch. But um, <laughs> it also doesn't feel like an alien place. No, that's true. That more or less stays. Apart from the fact that you've got those when Spike and Katarina are talking to each other, you've got the landscape is pointing up behind them. You kind of get a sense that this space is a bit more compressed. But yeah, other than that, you see very mundane things. Like you see, there's a shot of Spike's ship flying over a field full of cows, and also you'd have thought being on an asteroid there wouldn't be as much gravity or or there'd be almost no gravity and that's just not the case at all i did really like just while we're on the topic of gravity i really like the moment at the very end where they uh jet throws a cigarette to spike and it just very elegantly glides because of the lack of gravity into his hand i really enjoyed that because i did because before i was like oh they're in space for a second i was like well that's some weird 
physics, but then I remember they were in space. So it, it is sense. it is still weird though that they're like gravity doesn't appear to be absent for them, but it's just absent for the cigarette. Like yes. it doesn't it's it does look cool, but it doesn't make any sense. Which <laughs> when the physics in this show, that is true of all of the physics in this show. It's that it's it does the show doesn't care about science yeah at all. oh yeah and and even when he's f- um when jet is frying the vegetables in the pan he flicks it up and the vegetables oh, yeah. go up and back straight down. back down yeah yeah so it really is just that cigarette that and he clearly yeah and he, jet clearly knows the cigarette is going to move that way because he doesn't like lob it he pushes it and knows it's going to fly that way um to spike so i don't know maybe he just knows his shit well enough to know this is a section of the ship where the gravity doesn't work or something but um <laughs> Yeah, re- trying really hard to make it make sense there, though, I think. Yes, no, it doesn't make any sense <laughs> at all. Uh, this is this is absolutely true. Oh, so yes, when would you guess that this show is set? Um, well, it's far enough into the future that they have space tech that feels shabby and old. Yeah. So it's got to be well beyond when this, be- you know, when, when this concept of space travel was, um, became a possibility now it's just a mundanity so i would guess maybe in if we're using our own timeline you know from the year we currently live in then i would put it somewhere around three thousand years or something but is it actually like it's 1950s no it's not 1950s <laughs> it's that would be a plot twist it's 2071 Oh, that's it's very like close. It's like within our life, within our lifetimes, if we live a very long time. Right. Okay. Um, it's yeah. It's it's way sooner than it seems. So I sometimes go back and forth with this show because I think it looks really beautiful. Mm-hmm. A lot. Uh, beautiful is maybe not quite the right word because it's, it's so much of it is so shabby, like you said. Um, but there are sometimes shots, like the shots of Katarina having been shot in space, with all the red eye. L- Leaking. leaking out or the shot of the red rose in the water right at the beginning um where i'm kind of i kind of find myself going is there actually anything to this or does it just look really cool <laughs> uh. i i had similar thoughts there are moments throughout where i was wondering am i only seeing this because it's fun or because it's an interesting reference which i'm not saying those moments don't have value because they gave me a little chuckle or yeah. You know, like I said before, I really liked um, the scene with the shaman. I thought it looked really, yeah, it looked really nice, as you say. And the same with the the guys in the saloon bar. I They gave me a giggle, even though I wasn't really sure if they had much plot to yeah. value. But yeah, I guess you can't make a show all of meaning as well. No. You know, it's not going to work out like that. We talked a bit about the shabbiness, but particularly the, the first time you see the swordfish, Spike's ship, I think there is a lot of narrative communicated there because you see both it has this very sleek cool design it's got this vivid red color and it looks streamlined and beautiful but it's also completely covered in scoring it looks real it makes you believe in the texture and reality of this universe Mm -hmm. and it communicates something about you know these are characters operating with stuff that's desperately in need of repair yes absolutely Um, but yeah, I think it's probably something to keep an eye on as we go forward is how open we are to the show just being cool for the sake of cool and whether <laughs> whether that's what we think it's doing. So I think we should talk about the ending theme next time because we covered the opening theme quite a bit this time. What would be your expectations for the series going forward? Well, I think for starters, I... I'm expecting to meet those other characters that I saw in, you know, that are in the description, that ragtag crew, because at the moment we've just got, yeah, this sort of um, unfortunate duo um, that seem to be <laughs> putting up with each other in, in a quite a, a, yes, with that camaraderie of they've known each other a long time, but they also, that means that they know each other's flaws. They're so. on each other's nerves. Yeah. yeah so uh, I'm waiting for these other people to turn up. Um, so I would expect them to have perhaps some interesting introductory stories i don't know if spike and jet are going to meet them and recruit them or if we're going to meet them as individuals and learn a bit about their backstory the same we have with these two but either way that's that's something i'm definitely expecting to happen yeah and and i think that there's a lot more 
places to explore because because they talk a lot about they clearly travel around a lot to do their job so I'd expect to see a lot more destinations as well but yeah I I don't know what to expect from the overarching narrative here yeah no I mean I don't this episode does give you stuff in terms of that but it's mostly stuff that you get in retrospect yeah and I like that we don't know everyone at this point because I think trying to cram everyone into the first episode and a narrative probably wouldn't work. Often in pilots of shows, you get everybody kind of basically coming in and saying what their thing is. Yeah. And here I think really, in terms of characters who actually survive to the end of the episode, Spike is the only one who we know in any great detail. And if that carried on going forward, I think the ship would feel fairly empty. Mm. Um, but obviously it doesn't so um <laughs> do you watch rick and morty yes so you know that the heist episode oh yeah where they're like you son of a bitch i'm in yeah um, and they go around you know and it's just repeatedly going around and recruiting these people yeah. um i <laughs> based you know that music that we have in the intro that feels kind of like a heist movie you know like oh, it could be yeah. like ocean's 11 or something yeah i sort of want that to be a thing and i know you've said that, that that each episode has sort of a different genre so if we have a heist episode where they're just like huh we need to break into this vault and we're gonna go and recruit a con artist and then they go and find you know the, the lady in the blue bikini and uh, no not blue yellow bikini and uh yeah and, and she just without even asking anything just goes you son of a bitch i'm in and then they go and find the little hacker kid and he's just like in in his parents basement working um on she she oh sorry that's i mean there's no reason you would know that but no i, I just figured actually that is a i did when i was looking at that opening picture i did think to myself is it i couldn't tell no yeah it's not that, that makes much of a difference to the story no no but it might it might alleviate some of your feelings about this being about Token woman yeah <laughs> there is more a, than one about well. this character whose name i know and have to avoid saying <laughs> <laughs> being a token woman okay then is there anything else you wanted to say or? uh nope i'm good all right then nothing left to say but see you space cowboys and cow people of other genders. Oh, that went downhill, didn't it? Yeah, that was not good. That's no, that's yeah. a terrible sign off. It was a cute start, but it went downhill. <laughs> what, do they, what can I say? See you space cow people? No, that sounds like they're yeah, no. furries or something. <laughs> Let's just call them see you space cattle. <laughs> <laughs> Have you recorded all of that? Yep. Because I think that's the only way it will make sense. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, having uh, having train wrecked that ending. Uh, bye. <laughs>If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at realfolkreviews at gmail.com, look up our Facebook page, or find us on Reddit at u slash the Thanks for listening.